Hello and welcome to episode 72 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray at the helm as we celebrate a special and many believe important victory at the Masters. Hideki Matsuyama's win likely to have repercussions for the game across the globe. As always, the tournament captured the attention of the entire golf fraternity and as only a few tournaments can, many from beyond that world as well. So what can we take from the week and from Hideki's win? Well, joining us in just a moment for a general debrief is one of our favourite people here at Good Good. Meg McLaren will be on the line from Arizona shortly. But before that, it's hello to my regular co-host, Adrian Loglog. Looking forward to your thoughts on what I thought was an intriguing Masters. Mm-hmm. Yep, it was an intriguing Masters. I mean, it's always an engaging experience, isn't it? They seem to somehow always produce something of interest, don't they? Yeah. Exciting, so. yeah. No, I'm looking forward to talking to Meg about it and getting her perspective on it. Um, hopefully, she'll cheer me up because I'm in a bad mood. <laughs> He's had a bad this, coffee. This coffee that I'm drinking from across. So the people who made this coffee from the cafe across the road should be ashamed. This is... It's terrible. We have to find it. Shame on them. His, his commute went all right, but the coffee was bad. Uh, enough of all that. Let's bring in somebody who actually knows something about the game of golf and whose blog post this morning, I thought, was a fabulous take on the week in Georgia. Meg McLaren is in Arizona, where I assume there's a Symmetra Tour event coming up. Meg, thanks for taking some time. Every time we chat to you, you seem to be in the desert. I think you were in Dubai last time, weren't you? Uh, I think I might have been, yeah, but thank you for having me on again. Um, always enjoy speaking to you too. And to be honest, Adrian's going to get no sympathy from me whatsoever for <laughs> a bad coffee experience in Australia because yep. that has to still be better than a good coffee experience in America. How is the – Probably. Everyone yeah. I speak to, because I've never thought i never been to the States, but all everyone I know who goes over this is the coffee's just awful. Is that true? Is it? Can you find I, good I ones I feel now? like I might have actually you said this on your podcast already so I probably should should stop talking about coffee but yeah it's it's not great yeah i, I think you, you can't can live like that that's not living is it there's a trashy attraction to that americana that they just keep filling up like where you no, go you go no. to an ipop or something and they fill fill up a cup no and then it, you drink it it's trash but no. then they fill it up again like there's an attraction to that <laughs> it's like they'll bring you as much of that trashy coffee as you want i'm so. really surprised you're not a smoker that's how smoking works. This is awful, but I think I'm going to keep doing it. That's exactly how that works. Uh, enough about all that. Meg, I mentioned already you, you wrote a blog post this morning about it was a very different Masters in a lot of ways, was it? I mean, the, it, it lacked excitement to a point. I've, I've got to outline for you what happened for me yesterday morning. So I was flying yesterday. So that's already a big black cross on my day. I had to fly from Melbourne to Sydney. So I was watching the, the golf on my phone in the what do they call that bit of the airport where you sit and wait? The lounge. The lounge uh, before we get on the plane. So I'm watching that there trying to kid myself that I don't have to fly. I'm just immersed in the golf. They call us up. So I switch over to Masters Radio oh, to go out of the plane. The shark. Sit- yeah, it's the shark. Sitting on the plane and you know, everybody gets on. And just at the moment when she closes the door and the plane starts backing down the taxi, the taxi runway thing they do, Hideki hits it in the water over the back of 15 mm-hmm. as the pilot says, and could you please put your devices on airplane mode? So I had to turn it off right then, and it wasn't until I landed in Sydney that I could find out what went on just when it got interesting. As if you weren't anxious enough about flying. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then I had to be up in – that's right, take off and be in the air through all of that. So I kind of missed it. But Meg, I think – sorry. I was just going to say, honest answer then. What what did you want to happen when you landed? I wanted – first things first, I wanted Mark Leishman to win Mm. because I'm an Australian. But from a golf perspective, I wanted Hideki to win because I think that's a very big deal for the game. And Hideki is one of the good guys of world golf, and I've always been a fan. He's just a very dignified sort of a player. Uh, But there was a danger that some things I didn't really want to happen could have happened. So I was pretty nervous while I was up there wondering. Of course, when we landed, I was straight onto the thing. And the first thing I saw on Twitter was the picture of Hideki with the the jacket. So it was all okay. But uh, So that was my experience. And so for me, it was a really exciting finish, but it wasn't really an exciting finish in a lot of ways, was it, Meg? It was a strange kind of thing, as you sort of wrote in your blog today. Golf has got some excitement and enjoyment out of that finish, but it wasn't the finish we'd sort of come to expect at Augusta so often. Yeah, I think... um like when, when Hideki hit it in the water, like that's when all of a sudden it was like, oh my God, we've waited, you know, we've waited all day for this, for something <laughs> to happen. We've, we've finally got some drama. And it literally, 30 seconds later, like if your phone coverage had lasted another 30 seconds, you would have been fine. You wouldn't have had to have been nervous at all because as soon as um, Shoffley put it in the water, it was it was all over again, really, even though it was it was effectively all over for quite a long time, it felt like. It never got going, did it, sort of the Sunday? There was never any 
I mean, well, he hit that horrendous tee shot off the first. It was even worse than McElroy's a couple of years ago, which I thought was the worst golf I'd seen, golf shot I'd seen for a very long time. Yeah. But that never really eventuated to He hit a and- terrible tee shot on 13, but got lucky and, and made eventually made a crucial birdie. Maybe that birdie mm. was the thing that actually- Or the par putt on five, birdie. I think, would have- That par putt on five was just going off the green, wasn't it? <laughs> it just hadn't hit the hole. Indeed. Yeah. There was a little reminder, as, as the plane was taking off, I, I suddenly thought to myself, this is another Spieth 2016 and I'm going to miss it. Because <laughs> that tournament was over. Yep. He was five in front, standing on the 10th tee. And then all of a sudden, I'd already written my story for Golf Link, <laughs> ready to be published. It was already written, just waiting for the tournament to finish. Then he gets to the 12th, and it all went sort of crazy. So there's always that chance at Augusta, I suppose. What did you make? What's your take on uh, – we'll, we'll, actually, let's go through the blog a bit. What was the point you were trying to make in the blog there, Meg? I was really – I thought it was a really interesting sort of take on what had unfulled. There'll be a link to this well, in the show some, notes, by the somebody way. Didn't, uh, somebody didn't get it. I was having a conversation with somebody on Twitter, so it made me wonder if I maybe didn't get my point across at all. Um but I think I was trying to say, like, the thing that, that makes golf fascinating, and like you guys have both said, it was, an, it was an interesting Masters. It wasn't necessarily an exciting one, but it was an interesting one because that's golf asks all these questions of you all the time. And just because Matsuyama was four or five ahead starting the last round, there's a little bit of you that knows something might still go really badly wrong here because, you know, all of the all of the human elements to what golf is, you know, all kind of written the story about Matsuyama winning for Japan and, and everything that comes with that, you know, it's impossible to not see that on his shoulders and put that on his shoulders starting the round. And it's all those, I think, little moments that make watching golf so fascinating for four days, especially in a major. I think that's, sort of where I was trying to go with it. Yeah. It's a golfer's thing, isn't it, Like What Meg's talking about, that golfers get that, don't they? Mm. And particularly at Augusta, because everybody's familiar with the shots yeah. that are required to navigate that back nine in particular. So it feels like a sequence of swings that you've got to, like it's a sequence of tests that we can all understand. And you've got to get through that sequence of tests. And it's a it's a different mindset when you've got like a four or five shot lead going into that test but it makes it no less uh, it's taxing in a different way yeah it, that's right you, you just feel like you know you know what can go wrong and the beauty of the architecture at Augusta is that it, everybody can understand it partly from experience of having seen it over the years but also because it is so simple there's only like 22 bunkers on the golf course and everyone apart from Bryson <laughs> oh no! Nice. Well, he's got to pick new lines. We're, we're going to unpack that just a second. Um, but yeah, there's like usually one dominant feature on each hole that dictates the whole strategy of the hole, like you know the the pond on eleven or you know the the slope of the green on ten or something like that. You know, so there, there's one architectural feature that dominates the whole whole hole. And as golfers, I think you understand that and you can relate to what the the player is facing when they're standing over each shot. The four-shot lead, Meg, it's almost the poison chalice, isn't it? In some ways, it's the worst place to be because you have everything to lose and everybody behind you only has everything to win. So it's one against the field all of a sudden, isn't it? It's a, it's a yeah. awkward spot to be, I, I would think. It is. And I actually, I mean, obviously, it's not the Masters and it wasn't a major by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, I had in the Jordan Mixed Open 2019, I had a five-shot lead with, I think 10 holes to go maybe and and didn't win and so it's you know it's quite an overwhelming thing to happen because it's like for for so long you're in complete control and try as you might to not think about winning it doesn't really feel like anything can go wrong even though you know we've all played this game for so long we know that it's not as simple as that but when when things have gone your way for an entire tournament like that it's. I think it's just quite disorientating to have it suddenly not be going your way and almost trying to climb yourself out of that hole is is the hardest part, I think. And obviously everybody, if you're playing with somebody like, like Shoffler was playing with Matsuyama, you can see that happening and you can capitalise on it and you can, you can take the momentum away, I suppose. The, the dynamic really changes, doesn't it, Logue, when there's one player's got a four or a five shot. Mm-hmm. Like the whole dynamic changes. Yep. Leishman said it on Saturday night. There's a whole bunch of us want that jacket as much as Hideki. I recall this being said about Norman several years ago. His manager berated him, apparently. Somebody asked him. He was 
six shots back or something. He said, you know, ten shots back, you know, can you win? He said, oh, not, not, not sort of from this far back because there were too many people between him and the leader. Yeah. It wasn't the shots. It was the number of players. So one player with a five-shot lead is very different to being five shots off the lead. Yeah. But having eight people between you and the leader changes the dynamic completely. Some, somebody's going to go crazy. And those pairings were pretty decisive in the end because the guy who was playing well was Zalatoris. Yeah. And uh, he wasn't able to capitalise necessarily on what he was seeing with Hideki. Although Hideki wasn't stuffing up by any means. He, he just was making some of the smallest mistakes you could ever imagine and he didn't pay a huge price. Um, but, you know, Xander actually... He did a great job. Massive, didn't he? he made a mess of it. Made a few, few birdies and then messed it up. I, I loved his reaction, and I'd encourage people to go back and have a look at this. When he's put that ball in the water, he's taken it like I would like to take it. In fact, I'm going to react like this whenever anything bad happens to me on the golf course. He's just looked down at his feet and started nodding. Like, <laughs> yep. Like, that's, that's what it. you get. <laughs> I'm the idiot. That's what you get. And it was, it was just such a... It, for me, that was one of the well, it was the pivotal moment, really, where the tournament was over. Yes, but finished. Um, but that, I loved that reaction. <laughs> just, the, the cast of characters was interesting, wasn't it? We we tend to expect, I suppose, bigger names, but before we even got to Saturday, many of the big names were gone. What was your take on Will Zalatoris, Meg, the only player in the field who might be thinner than you? <laughs> hey, I've put on some weight now. Oh, good. I um, I'd like to hit it as far as he does, mind out of that that frame. Um. But I think it's interesting, like listening to his interviews was, I think, more insightful than anything he did on the golf course in a way, because he he wasn't afraid of it by any means. You know, he wasn't kind of like, oh, wow, I'm, you know, I'm in this position in the Masters. I've got a chance to win. He, he kind of, I felt like he felt like he belonged there, you know, and there was no reason why he couldn't go on and win. And, you know, that's, that's confidence for you, isn't it? Like he's he's been one of the best, players in the world over the past year almost I would guess I think I saw a stat that said he's tied with John Rahm for the most top tens over the past however long and I know some of those have been on the the Corn Ferry Tour but you know there's there's a confidence from playing well that you can take anywhere and I think because a lot of us don't necessarily know his name that well we assume that he's a kid and he's not you know he's I think he's maybe 25, is he? Something like Walker that. Walker Cup player, I think, in 2017. He was a part of that team. And he's a bit of a social media folk hero, is he not, Logue? Or he certainly has become this year. He's played well in a lot of events but doesn't technically have PGA Tour memberships. And there's, there's some rumblings about that. Mm. He's one of those sort of players in that. Yeah, he's very impressive. Um, like the social media thing is he looks like Happy Gilmore's caddy. But no, but guys like uh, Ryan, from, Ryan from Monday Q Info, a case of the golf, he's been oh, talking okay. about Zalatoris for a long time, has had the guys at No Laying Up, right, and right, right. The, all of the cool kids have been talking about Zalatoris all year. Yep. Yeah, look, I mean, he's a very good ball striker. And, and interestingly, I, I think I first heard of him listening to a podcast with Scott Fawcett. Yeah, well, because he, uh, he was the yeah. – yeah, um, he might have even been the first guy that Scott worked with where he okay. – he was caddying for him in a big amateur tournament. and so much maybe. Yeah. yeah, and Zalatoris went from being just one of the pack to suddenly winning this thing completely unheralded um, just because he was being told where to hit the ball. And he's he can execute. He can hit it where he's looking. So, uh, And look, he's an incredibly impressive ball striker. His putting's a bit shaky. I don't know. I just want to see more of him. There's a lot of potential there. Yeah, like, There's a lot of very good ball strikers. Who he can- did carry himself beautifully. Meg's right. He yeah. really, at no stage did he look overwhelmed by any of it, did he? He did f- mm. look like he felt as though he belonged without looking like he felt the pressure of, I have to win this. Uh, this is my first taste. I'll be back. This was a good start. I could have done better. I will do next time. Yeah. Which was, uh, which, what do you think about the cast of characters like? We get used to the Masters, I think, being, tends to be very big names towards the end. That was less the case this time. Hideki's a big name, obviously, in golf, although he's been quiet for a couple of years. It was an interesting Masters in that sense, wasn't it? Rory yeah, it was, gone, Dustin gone, Kepka gone. Yeah, it got down to five, unrealistically just five players that could win going into the final day, and almost all of them, you know, Spieth was the only Spieth one was who was one on the outside, boundary. But, that's right, of where you would think. Um, so if he wasn't you, Spieth, you wouldn't have thought he could win. That's right. So you're looking at this little list of players and thinking one of them are going to have a life-changing experience tomorrow. Um, which one's it going to be? And uh, that, that was quite confronting, actually. It was a confronting thing. Yeah. The, the cream always rises to the top at the Masters, they say. Um, but uh, you Only know, if they make the weekend. 
That well, that's true. That's <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah. Disappointing in terms of big names. What, what was your take on Jordan Spieth this week, Meg? I know that you like us. I'm sure. Well, I don't know. I'm sure you're a fan of Spieth as we are. He's a compelling golfer to watch. What was your take on him this week? And in the last sort of three or four months, he's really started on that climb back up the mountain. It seems. Absolutely. Yeah. I I don't think there's anybody apart from Tiger maybe that I that I like watching more than Spieth. And I mean. I feel like you could have you could have whole tournaments of just him and Michael Greller and it would still be entertaining. Yeah. Um, he's just, I, I mean, I love seeing him back up at the top. You know, he he's obviously, it's, I think it's quite a fascinating story, you know, him being so dominant and then, you know, dropping as far down as he did in the rankings and then kind of gradually working his way up again. And because of who he is, you know, he was honest about all of it, you know, and we could see from the outside when he didn't trust what he was doing, which I think because athletes are so conditioned to kind of always give off that aura of, you know, of thinking you're a world beater or not showing any weaknesses, to have somebody be so open about what he was struggling with, I think was quite good for for casual fans to kind of observe. Um which makes it even, you know, even better seeing him, seeing him back up there again. I still can't articulate it. He's got it, doesn't mm-hmm. he? Whatever it is, he's got it in spades. He's just doing the same thing all the other guys do. But there's something about the way he does it that makes you want to watch him. Yeah, it's so fascinating, isn't it? He's um, good-natured about yeah. the, his approach to the game. Mm-hmm. I think, like, he gets angry, but there's, there's still you understand his motivations for when he's angry. He's not like Billy Horschel slamming oh, his club or something like that. It's awful, isn't it? But the other thing, like, speak. Like it, it's compelling before he hits the ball with the, the back and forth with Greller and everything. I kind of blame Greller for his loss actually because he shaved his beard off. Beard. It looked it was weird. Like cutting but, Hercules' mane, isn't it? Exactly. Madness on a month. Why make a change like that yeah. on the last table? Anyway, um, but so all that stuff before the shot, I think, is great. But then when he hits the shot, it's almost like he's jumped up in the stands with you and and he's riding along <laughs> from the outside. To see, exactly. It's like I, I was the instrument that put that ball up in the air but now i'm with you yeah like what's happening like <laughs> let's let's cheer it on you know so there, there's this yeah that part of what makes him so compelling it's there's many facets to it he's a fascinating character it would have been difficult to figure out who to cheer for had he made a charge on sunday wouldn't it if it was between him and hideki i would have been very torn yeah and and well with leash in the mix as well but uh would have been exciting that's a great masters you know that's Nicholas Miller, Weisskopf, isn't it? You know, yeah, very th- much. those sort of legends, yeah. legendary masters, or you know, Scott Day, uh, Schwartz, or Schwartz Ogilvy. Yeah. Ogilvy, yeah, Ogilvy was, yeah, was yeah, close yeah. than that. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, indeed. All right, let's talk about um, Big Bryson. You've clearly sure. got some things to say. I'm interested to hear what Meg has to say. Played played the par sixty seven course fairly ordinary, Meg. It would seem. <laughs> It's quite a big chunk over par if it was par 67. 25, I think I saw on Twitter this morning. Someone kindly pointed <laughs> out to him that that's how far over par he was on a on a par 67. What's your take on Bryson? I think, sorry, Rod. No, I think it was um, his body language as much as anything that kind of shocked me a little bit. Like he just, you know, they showed the odd shot of him on Sunday. And I know, you know, when you're that far down the leaderboard on a Sunday, it's it's not that much fun. But knowing what Bryson's like, you know, or what we've seen of him, you think he's always trying to figure things out. He's always trying to get the most out of what he's doing, but he just, he looked completely despondent, you know, completely like he, he didn't want to be there. He wasn't enjoying any part of it. And that kind of shocked me a little bit because I feel like he would be the kind of person that would, you know, desperately want to, to figure out Augusta, but maybe that's the problem. Maybe he's trying to figure it out too much instead of, instead of just playing. Does the intensity that allowed him to do what he's done to his body and his golf game load work the other way as well? He, he, I think he's got some quit in him. That's what it feels like. He gets to a oh, point where yeah. he's got some quit in him. That The temper tantrum on the range at the Open a few years ago, that's sort of quitting, isn't it? That complete mm-hmm. lack of discipline. You, you never see that from Tiger. In fairness, you never see it from Spieth. You do. Justin com- Thomas has it a little bit. He do, and so does Rory a little bit, yeah. actually. Once he's lost interest, yeah. that's kind of kind of it. And I think that's maybe it for, for Bryce. If he's not going to be a chance, maybe. if he can't be in the limelight, he doesn't want any part of any of it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, well, I I do enjoy passing judgment on these people's character yeah, like this. It's, um, yeah, it's, we did it to it's, Meg it's, when she was here once. That was beautiful. <laughs> um, the reason why we shouldn't do everybody else. But yeah, Bryson, I, the things, I think he'll work it out at, at Augusta because 
you can tell that he derives his confidence from his past experiences of setting his mind to something and getting it done. And he's very obsessive, as we've seen. Um, so he has set his mind to win this tournament. And I think he even said that. He said, when I set my mind to something, I do it. And uh, so look out. He'll work it out. It's- but that's the thing I find, like, I find so odd about his whole, like, persona is you could quite realistically see him sitting in a dark room between now and next April, not playing anywhere else, just making a plan <laughs> to win yep. Augusta. And, yeah. like, you know, he was one of the best amateurs in the world before, you know, and don't get me wrong, I admire what he's done in, in trying to make himself as as good as he can be. But, like, he knows how to play golf. Mm-hmm. You know, he he was able, obviously, to take his game to different courses in the past and, and find ways to win. And it's just like he's now using this single-minded, one-dimensional approach that if it doesn't work, he doesn't know what to do. He clearly loves being in the line. He's a headline, mate. He loves to see himself talked about. He really has that need to be the story. Quite, uh, quite seriously, how much of it is that he can't use green reading books at Augusta? I saw a quote from him about that, actually. And that's, that's the kind of thing that I mean that I find really bizarre. He could obviously putt before like he, he got into green reading books. Yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, he doesn't. Well, I mean, we we don't know him obviously, and and how he's approached the game throughout his entire career. But from you know, to be that good at golf, you don't need all of these extra things. Like you have all of those skills already, and it just feels like he's become so reliant on on doing things a certain way that if if they don't work, and like you said, if if he's not doing well, if he's not the story, then he kind of doesn't know what to do with himself. Is that just a trait of professional golfers, though, Meg, where you get into a routine? Like we see it with cricketers who've got to, you know, back away out to square leg between each ball or, you know, take their gloves off when they get to the other end. or And, you know, Spieth, in a way, well, he's got his ticks. whole routine ticks, is, a, he? is one big tick, <laughs> yes. like, like that whole thing. Um, and there's there's a comfort in going to that routine. And I can imagine there's a comfort in the routine of going to a book and having a look at it while you're standing over a putt, because even if you're not really taking in what you're looking at, it's it just becomes part it's of your. It's what you do, yeah. Yeah, it's part of your. What makes you feel like you own this space that you're in? Mm. Is is there some sense of that with a professional golfer, Meg? Yeah, I think so. It's probably that's probably innate to you know to most people. Never mind sort of athletes and golfers. You know, you're more comfortable if you if you kind of know where where you are and. and kind of like you said what your space is yeah. um like a good coffee but, podcasting <laughs> i think <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. yeah if i don't have a coffee before yeah. i play then i would be on edge <laughs> maybe i shouldn't hammer on bryson so hard have you ever tried to change your pre-shot routine i'm not sure if i've ever heard but if, imagine i imagine that would be quite confronting changing a pre-shot routine would take a long time i would think to settle in because you tend to have it from pretty early on don't you Mick? you ever tried to change yours yeah yeah, well, do you know what's funny? When when we had the first lockdown because of COVID, obviously we went on a golf course for, I don't know, three months or something. That was the thing that I found the most weird going back on a golf course, was trying to remember what I do before I actually hit the golf ball. Mm. Uh, let's talk about some of that other stuff, Meg. I wrote this piece yesterday for the Meg, and I, thought it was, I think it's fascinating. In the situation I was where I wasn't at home with the TV and all that sort of stuff I was out watching on the phone, the every shot from every player is fantastic as a fan, but what I, what I want to ask you, Meg, is there anything in that for a coach? Can Bryson and his coach go back and look at every shot and not just swing planes and rhythms and things, but body language and attitude? Is there some value in that, do you reckon, from a coach's point of view, to be able to see every shot from the whole tournament, good and bad? A hundred percent. I think that's a, that's a brilliant um, way to look at it. I hadn't even... Hadn't even thought about that as a coach looking back at footage. But, you know, the the bits of golf that we've on the LET had on TV, I've gone back and watched every single shot of mine that I can find because I find it fascinating to see because obviously I, you know, I know exactly how I'm feeling at any any given moment in a tournament. And to be able to see what that actually looks like is is really interesting. Um and I remember Actually, whenever I first, might have been my first professional event was in Dubai. And um, somebody who was watching knew me 
and took a video of of one of my drives off of off a hole but it had my whole pre-shot routine in and i i didn't know that they'd taken it but he must have been friends with my coach sent it to my coach and my coach showed it to me a few months later and was like oh i think what you did here in your pre-shot routine was really good and it was something that we went back to mm. kind of multiple times over the next couple of years because I wasn't really aware that I was doing these specific things at that time, but that can almost turn itself into losing certain elements of your routine. If you're not actually sure what you're doing, if that makes sense, you know, sometimes things just happen automatically when you're doing well. So to be able to see them and then refer back to them when maybe things aren't going so well, you can, you can learn a huge amount from that. Yeah. Sort of, sort of log them. I know when we were up at Bonville, year before last, that when we sat down and did the thing about golf interview, which was one of my favourite ones to do, I was following Meg around and just taking the odd video here and there, and she demanded every single one of them to the <laughs> one, all to go to her phone so that she could look at uh, look at everything that had unfolded. From the, from the fan and the spectator point of view, Logue, hmm. the, the Masters is so hung up on tradition and the past and all that. They really are leading the way in terms of coverage. I honestly oh, think it's amazing. within a decade or two, this will be the standard coverage for every golf tournament. Hmm. Uh, well, let's hope. I mean, they're they're genuinely innovative. They really stuff, are. and yeah, the every shot thing is very engaging. Like because wherever you start, it just rolls into the next shot, and you end up watching an entire round before you know it. And you do get this macro view of like, oh, that guy drove well today, or you know, his approach shots were great today, or around the green he was good today. And you you don't get that necessarily from sitting through five hours of golf, but you do get it through 11, 12 minutes of watching every shot all in one package like that. It's- I remember Dottie Pepper once talking about, might have been on State of the Game, she talked about how the viewers don't get to see what the on-course reporter does because you're walking with the players between the shots. Mm-hmm. All the stuff that's not on TV, which is most of it, tells you an awful lot. The featured group coverage is interesting for the same sort of uh, same sort of reason, and I would imagine Meg for somebody like your mum and your dad when you're out playing overseas, that would be a godsend, wouldn't it? Because they spend all their time hitting refresh on the leaderboard, waiting for the score for the next hole to come up. Absolutely, I think my my dad has a new sometimes of like just not not looking, just trying as hard as he can to wait until the round's over because he can't he can't take the not not knowing like. Just from a bunch of pars or like a bogey and a birdie, like what does that mean? You know, what? How how is your round going? How are you feeling? Is it more likely to to turn one way or the other? So, I think being able to actually see would would definitely help the family members out. There should be a special feed for family Just members. For families, I think the family feed. In the old days <laughs> of NASA, they used to have like a special radio tuned to a certain station where family members of the astronauts could just <laughs> could, hear. They could, they could hear, they could hear everything that Mission Control. But <laughs> if something went wrong, they'd just turn that feed off and you'd immediately, oh, no. You know, <laughs> run in there. was out of the room when that, uh, when that sort of happened. Oh, I know how I used it. And this is why, what really made me start thinking about it. I think it must have been on the Saturday. Spieth hit a horrible second shot on the eighth hole deep down into the pine straw, left yep. of the green, and hit an amazing shot. Made apparently. birdie, I think. He did make birdie. Mm. Well, I'd read about, I read that on Twitter. I wasn't watching. I read about that on Twitter. And then I remembered, oh, I can go to the scoreboard. Exactly. And you can go a, look at it. And yeah. I went and had a look at it. And it yeah. was. It was phenomenal to see. So as a as a fan and a spectator, um, I would imagine the problem for it, like, is it would be extraordinarily expensive on a week-to-week basis to have cameras. It's a lot of bodies and a lot of cameras it's out a, Augusta's got an advantage because it's the same course every year. The cables are already there. The towers are already in place. They've already got the place covered. But I really do think that's going to be the future of golf coverage. We keep wondering what's going to make golf coverage better. That's one thing for sure. And not not to rest on anything. They they might have done this once or twice before, but they really lent into it this year, is that new camera that they've got. The, with the handheld thing with the extremely oh, sh- shallow depth, shallow of, depth field, of field, yeah, yeah, which was very interesting to look at, but they didn't use it a lot to show golf shots. And I do think there's an evolution coming which will blow everyone's minds when they, when they get behind a player with that camera or something similar with the shallow depth of field. And you've, so you've got the, the, the player there popping from the background, like really interestingly, and then have, be able to track the ball for a little bit and like have have the shot go up in the air, track the ball, and then zoom in a little bit on when it lands. Right. Like there's a real player perspective about that. It's a little bit like those those very old clips that Rob Williamson once posted where you could, you could see, see the ball. Just like, happened to be – you just got it right yeah, for it. imagine that, but yeah. with the camera tracking the ball a little bit better and zoom like zooming and tracking as it's like reaching the, the target. That, that'll be an incredible view. And I, I've 
I can imagine them evolving that The masters camera will be the first to do it. You to, know that. Yeah, to have something like that come up. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that camera was really fascinating to look at, and I was disappointed they didn't use it more for actual golf shots. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder whether they've tried and it doesn't work. You'd have to think that they'd be well and truly across that, because if you've thought of it, somebody yeah. at Augusta's well, thought of it for I'm sure. I'm pretty sure it, face, it has facial tracking for that's where it, its focus oh. is. Like, it's got to be autofocus, obviously, but it's always, it's just like, yeah. catching a face and then sticking to that face. So that's not necessarily great for golf. Uh, really loving these insights here from Meg, who always seems to have a take on things that have never occurred to me. If you've never read Meg's blog, do yourself a favour, head to her website at megmclaren.com. I'll put a link in the show notes below. There is some terrific stuff there for golfers of all levels. And her piece on the Masters from 2019, Tiger's last win, was the best piece written about that tournament all year for mine. So do yourself a favour and go and check that out. Now, that's not what I broke into the show to talk about because getting access to the thoughts of someone like Meg is just one benefit of being a Talk and Golf listener. The other is a 20% discount of all items at our network sponsor, thegolfsociety.com.au. Australia's only online golf apparel concept store, thegolfsociety.com.au, stocks all the latest styles from the biggest and best-known names in the game, including Ralph Lauren, Hugo Boss, Under Armour, and more. And if you use the code TG at checkout, you'll get 20% off even sale items. You won't get a better deal than that. That's thegolfsociety.com.au. Head there now while you listen to the rest of this chat with Meg McLaren. As a professional golfer, Meg, the entertainment aspect of golf is what makes it viable to do for a living as a professional golfer. So all of that TV stuff, we know the problem for golf is it's a little bit like AFL. If you've never been to an AFL game and you watch it on TV, it's blah. It's just people kicking a footy. When you've been to an AFL game and you understand that the real game is happening 50 metres away from the ball and you're waiting for it to get there, golf's got the same sort of an issue, doesn't it, Meg? Unless you're at the course, you can see the distances, the slopes, feel the wind, understand the actual elements and hazards that are right there in front of the player. It's actually not that impressive on TV. So all of this stuff's really important, is it not, for professional golf? I think so, yeah. And it, I suppose it leads to the bigger question of you know what does golf want to be what's it trying to do you know if it wants to to grow and to attract new people and and kind of diversify it a little bit then then yeah it needs to invest in all of this stuff massively and obviously it's i think it's finally starting to lean into the betting world as well so all of that you know being able to see every shot from every player that's that's going to be a massive kind of lead in to that um and you just, I, I guess you just have to, you have to give people a reason to watch, don't you? If you're not a golfer, why, why are you tuning into golf? And there's a lot of different ways to look at that, I suppose. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to hang with that person who doesn't play golf yet watches golf. I don't mean the Masters, but if somebody's watching the John Deere Classic and they don't play golf, that's a bit odd, don't you think? Mm, mm. Yeah, the Masters. That, that, prob- that person probably doesn't exist, to be fair. Yeah, and no, uh, no offense to John Deere. No, 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 and I always I do this. I always pick them, but it's actually a very good tournament. It's one of the reasons it's always at the top of my mind. The John Deere Classic is always a fabulous one. You always get to see the players up on the track. Yeah, that's fun. Dickers and yeah. all that sort of stuff is all good fun. Do we want? Want is probably the wrong term. Is there? Is it a? Is it a sensible approach, Logue, for professional golf to pursue the non-golfer as an audience? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, the only way to do it is to reach out and build fans of the game as well as players of the game. And, you know, we don't. What every other sport has a huge group of fans that don't play. And That's right, every other sport. Yeah. Golf is actually unique. That's right. So can you change that? And do you want to change that? Well, sure. That's the question. Can, because, you know, it's a sport. It's it just... It is a bit oh, slow. It is a bit slow. and The things that are interesting about golf. So, for example, Masters is a prime example. Someone gets to the 18th green, Meg, and they've got that nasty little three-foot left-to-right downhill breaking putt on a green that's running at 14 on the stint meter. Unless you're a golfer, that just looks like another three-foot putt, like all the three-foot putts you've watched on TV as a non-golfer before. There's something in that, isn't there? I think it's part of the point of your blog this morning was – I'm not sure you can ever really be a golf fan without having an understanding of what playing the game is about and is like. Can you? Or am I wrong about that? No, I'd agree. I'd agree with you there. And that's why I think... That's why you keep getting invited back. <laughs> I, um, I, to be honest, I don't know where I stand on on the whole, you know, should we be trying to attract more 
non-golfers to the game. Like, yes, of course, we want we want more people to appreciate what the game is and what the game can offer. You know, I think I think stats might have a big part to play in broadcasting going forward. That put, you know, is is missed X amount of the time, then you get a bit more of a sense of it. But you can't, you know, it's almost impossible to factor in all the other things, like if it's to win a tournament or if it's off the back of two three putts or if it's you know somebody's first tournament in a few months because the role of professional what was the role of professional golf for you growing up meg in getting you started in the game you've had a connection to professional golf obviously right from the get-go uh in a sense so maybe it's a little bit different but the role of professionals is important isn't it but i wonder whether making the professional game i don't know accessible to non-golfs what do you reckon well that see the thing for me is it was tiger and that's probably the case for, you know, close to millions of people mm. of a similar age. You know, obviously it was helped by the fact that it was on TV. Like if Tiger had happened in a different era, would we have the same generation of golfers that we do now? Possibly not. Good so there are, mm. there are things that can, can long. There, there needs to be, I guess, structures in place to to build on it um but i'm not sure there's a recipe to to make that happen no you can't create an arnold palmer can you in a lab or a tiger woods or a, a greg norman that makes me think like you talk to clates about growing up and being enamored with golf and you know but getting good at the game and whatnot and the coverage was the complete opposite they would wait for the magazines to arrive from america with all of the results eagerly mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to get to it as opposed to being exposed to it and then coming to the game so yeah, that's true. Like, I, I, my only times on the podcast that my only access to golf while I was at school was to wait for the Wednesday or the Tuesday Sydney Morning Herald. Yeah, I think it was Tuesday. Tuesday Sydney Morning Herald, and yeah, that didn't stop a lot of Australians of knowing from knowing that you know Greg Norman won the Kemper Open or something like that. It didn't. It didn't actually need to be written about. Even like a lot of people were waiting on that little bit of column space. So yeah. You know, Golf will find a way, I guess. the The point about you know how you you take advantage of the popularity of a player. I mean, we'll see it play out, you know, perhaps with Hideki in, yes, in well, Japan yes. and Asia. Um, you really get the sense that Hideki and will uh, allow or be you know quite generous with his time. We saw it with Adam Scott, you know, be very generous with his time when he came back to Australia with the green jacket and uh, governing bodies should be viewing their development programs as, you know, a marketing exercise really. Like they're not they're not necessarily investing in elite golf in order to get results. That's that's an outcome, but the you know the the final outcome really should be four or five years down the track when those players are established on the tour, there there's a responsibility for them to market the game back in their country. Um, that gave them that that start, so it's a marketing exercise. These elite programs, and um, you know, well, I guess the um, the best example of that is probably Korea, isn't it? Yeah, you had Siri Pack, kind of, and you know, everything just blew up, and then fifteen years later, or however long, the you know the world top fifty or top twenty is completely dominated by by Korean golfers, and you know, none of us probably really know how they've how they've managed to channel that into such world-class talents. But as a rule of thumb, you'd say the more the more good golfers there are competing with each other, the more good golfers you're going to kind of work their way to the top, aren't there's they? a numbers game element, isn't there? It's, <laughs> the the, the yeah. more numbers there are, then get, the, by, by default. Adam Scott winning the Masters should have on paper had a much bigger impact on golf in Australia than Greg Norman. But I don't think it did. No, it didn't. He... Uh, it, a lot of it was the echo chamber of golf. Like I think you had Adam Scott. Getting, you couldn't get a getting role model? media opportunities in yeah. front of golfers, but not necessarily at a higher profile than that. Like you know, Greg Norman, is, you know, he transcended golf in Australia for sure. Like so why? you know, they can still put his name against that holy moly TV show, and that's it's going to attract. It's going to attract attention, and you know. The Olympics in Australia, of course, you can have Greg Norman, and everybody's going to recognise who he is. You don't just don't get that with Adam Scott. Um, but why? I, I think that's a great question. 
rather it's like how do you take somebody outside of the world of golf you know how do you how do you make that inspire a generation of people who maybe wouldn't have looked at golf before essentially creating a headline every time he out his mouth <laughs> remove his foot, say something ridiculous, everybody would write about it. And he, like Bryson, always welcomed that. And we can see later in his career he still craves that attention and limelight. Mm. Let's be honest, it's a little bit demeaning for Greg Norman to be doing the radio coverage of the Masters, but he's doing it yeah. because he you – know, that, that – Or to be posted. Yeah, that's well, the that's meaning right. of his Instagram yeah, page. Yeah, exactly, exactly <laughs> right. So there's an element of that, and that's clearly obviously a part of it. Adam Scott was never going to do I mean, he's too dignified to even play the seniors tour, I'd imagine. So there's a real – there's something about personality. On the flip side, Tiger Woods has never done any of that Norman stuff, and he's had a far bigger impact globally than Norman had in Australia, just in performance alone. So there's some weird thing about the combination of performance yep. and personality. Well, they're both tremendously charismatic. But then you've got you know, Spieth, who's very charismatic, but mm. there's no way he could transcend golf. Like, he's not going to be a recognisable outside of golf. Yeah. Yeah, it's just bizarre. I've always wondered that. I mean, you know, Adam Scott's probably one of my very favourite golfers ever, but he hasn't got it. Whatever it is, he hasn't got it. He's got everything. Everything except putting, except- obviously. He looks like a buffoon with that yeah. butter, as you like to point out. But apart from that, he's perfect. I remember when he won the Masters, talking to somebody who was a marketing expert, and they just said, look, if you were going to build a vehicle for marketing and have it play golf, yeah. it would look exactly like Adam Scott. That's what it would look like. Maybe it's too perfect. Maybe. Maybe people just don't relate. I don't know, Meg. What do you think? To a lot of outsiders, golf has this image and this reputation. And when maybe when people don't do anything to break that kind of identity, they're, they're not interested. And Tiger did that because, you know, he was like Michael Jordan. He was so incredibly dominant that you couldn't not pay attention. And black. And I don't think you can discount yeah. that. Completely different. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that's why, like you're saying, Greg Norman obviously had had something different than what Adam Scott has. And I, I mean, I love Adam Scott far more than I'll ever sort of relate to Greg Norman. But depending on what you're looking for in, you know, in, in transcending the game, it, it maybe requires different things that you can't really teach or plan for. Uh-huh. They just happen. Mm-hmm. So Hideki, I think, is probably a good example of this. He just seems to be a human being of extraordinary grace, mm. and that gives him a presence, I feel. And so he, as a Masters winner, I think certainly in Japan we could safely say he's going to have an impact somewhat like Norman and Woods. Will it go beyond that, do you think, Adrian? I reckon I heard 15 different women over the last two days say, he's so cute. <laughs> yep. Seriously, and there's something in that. Yep. Well, he's no, he's no dreamboat no, he's like not. Adam Scott. The, but- the mums were with him. <laughs> That's... Um- uh, but yeah, no, he he does have a uh, a dignified charm about him, doesn't he? Um, yeah, yeah, he wouldn't complain if uh, your daughter brought him home at all. If <laughs> you like, what a fine young man! Um, he's uh, going all right too financially. Yeah, <laughs> six hundred <laughs> right. million. They reckon this could be worth. That's right. Uh, look, he he seems like he's got a big heart, and it it was one of the things that was so nice watching him after the the victory when he was doing that little walk from the 18th green to the scorer's hut. Which you rightly pointed out, that started to become a thing. That's going to be a thing. They nailed it in 2019 yeah. and they've realised just how good yeah, it is. That's right. DJ was okay last year. If I'm going to rank the three, he's the third out of the you know, the three walks the that we've had so far. He's got the most interesting gait. Yeah, that's right. But there was a touching moment with him and... Uh, Hideki? No, uh, with DJ and... Um, I forgot his missus' name. Austin. Oh, Austin, no. Uh, no. No, his wife. Yeah. Oh, his wife. Um, anyway, Gretzky. Paulina. Paulina, yeah. They had a they had a touching moment where he just said to her, it's a good day. Yeah. And and I thought that was wonderful. And he, so we're getting something wonderful from that walk every time. And with Hideki, it was just, you know, this character who we know very little about. Um, you're just seeing this emotion come through. Um, and uh, you could you could tell it was dawning on him. What he'd well, achieved, yeah. It's like I've, I've done <laughs> well, this okay, now. Actually, wow, I've done it. Yeah. What is that? <clears throat> Obviously, you've never won a, a major meet, but what is that? I've done it. Feeling like you've won a couple of tournaments. It's the lifelong goal. I know you want to win more, and in the grand scheme of things, the one you've, ones you've won so far haven't been the biggest ones. But you must get a sense of that. What Hagenecki must have been feeling yesterday. Yeah, it is that. I I tried to mention this in my blog, but I think it's one of the things that maybe it's quite hard to explain to people who 
don't play kind of professionally. Or, but or win that, like Adrian and I. <laughs> Anything of any significance ever, yes. <laughs> I, tried to, I tried to term that. In the <laughs> I've won some nerd majors, I reckon, yeah, right? I've told you. Yes. <laughs> but it's not like, you know, people think of hole-in putts or hitting, hitting iron shots next to the pin. But it's like, it's that immediate moment afterwards, you know, where that realisation that it's over and that you've done it. You know, it's like, it's kind of frozen in time for, for a few seconds where, you know, your friends might run onto the green, you know, pour champagne all over you and you've got everybody cheering. But it's that that moment where finally, you know, nothing can go wrong. It's, you know, you've done what you needed to do. But it's just, I think, the ultimate satisfaction of, you know, of, you've beaten the everybody else that you're playing against, but you've kind of, you've conquered whatever you need to conquer in your own mind. And I, I guess it's just, that's the reason why we play. That's why we we kind of do what we do every day is is for those moments where it's just complete and utter kind of satisfaction. I've heard a lot of players describe it as relief more than anything mm. else in a way. It's relieved that <laughs> if I, this is what you – a lot of professional golfers spend an entire career and never win anything, Meg. That's, and good players. There have been careers built, really good careers, without a victory. I mean, financially and in every other way. But without any wins, so it's a re- you spend most of your time not winning in golf, don't you? So there's a real thing there about having to define what winning and losing means to you on a weekly basis to keep going. Yeah, it's like I said, it's for somebody who tries to put everything into words. This is the I think this is the bit that I find the hardest to explain. But you know, the you can have whole tournaments where you do you do things better than you do in tournaments when you win but you don't, it doesn't give you the same feeling. And that, that sounds obvious, but you don't get that, you know, the euphoria of, of, you know, getting the ball out of the hole on 18 and being the one that, that has done it, you know, maybe it's an ego thing, but if it was just an ego thing, it would be all about hitting driver as far as you can, or, you know, having all the cameras on you whenever you hit it next to the pin, but it's, it's something different. Um, it's all those little moments of doubt, I suppose, finally coming together in in one kind of complete picture. Do Do you ever practice like fist pumps or anything, <laughs> Meg? Like for that? I, I, no, honestly, it's I, a serious I, question. I think it's difficult to be authentic in those those moments. Like, I if I'm authentic about how you'd I fall would over, react, you'd trip over. Maybe, yeah. Or I'd look, I just wouldn't be very demonstrative. I'd just sort of pick the ball out of the hole and walk <laughs> it's away. It's so funny. There's, there's a picture of me holding a putt in the Curtis Cup. And I'm it, the thing that's cool about the picture is I know that the ball's in before the ball's dropped. So, like, my fist is halfway in the, in the air and you can still see the ball. But it's like the worst-looking fist pump I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. And that's like... I'm going to have to stop fist pumping. Like, I can't, this can't be a thing. <laughs> yeah, you're self-conscious about it. We had Kari on two weeks ago, and she did the worst five-star jump since Mickelson when Adam held the putt to win the Masters in 2013. <laughs> it, was just, just a, it was a great photo because the expression is magnificent. Meg Mallon took it off her, but not a lot of air there, Kari. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Funny stuff. Uh, Hideki in Japan, Adrian. You've got some experience with Japan. You've lived in Japan. What's that going to mean? What's it going to be like? Adam Scott said... He went to Japan with the green jacket the year he won and mm. played there, and he said he got mobbed. Mm. He, I cannot imagine what is going to happen to Hideki. Oh, it's going to be huge. The I was there in like late 80s, early 90s, and I, I was over there with no, nothing to do with golf, didn't really even have a TV. I wasn't paying much attention to media. But when, when the Masters came around, you, it was everywhere. And back then it meant a huge amount. And you had, you know, Tommy Nakajima would contend every now and then. Who was magnificent on the Japanese broadcast that we got he snippet was. of on the, yeah. on the Masters coverage. But, but the fact that he's on that broadcast yeah. tells you what you need to know about, you know, anybody who's from Japan who's been on that stage is revered and talked about for years. And, and those moments that, I mean, we do it to some extent in Australia, to a large extent actually, but we've got a lot more moments to talk about um, with Australians at Augusta. But, you know, a Japanese being on that stage and performing and now winning is, is enormous. It's, it's going to be – it's something that will cut through. He'll be a TV personality. Um, there will be a whole bunch of distractions that uh, he's going to have to deal with. 
Uh, and like Adam winning the Masters there, there'll be a general feeling of the golf population in Japan of the last mountain has been climbed. Yeah. So last, the last achievement to tick off for golf in Japan was a men's major. Men's major, yeah. And for it to be the Masters, just extraordinary. I recall Hideki maybe three or four years ago, I think he might have finished second at a PGA, and him being almost in tears after mm. talking about having felt the pressure and carrying the weight of a nation. It's just a, yeah. it's an extraordinary thing to consider, isn't it, Meg, to try and play golf with not just your own personal desires and goals and want to win, but to feel that carrying the weight of a nation. That's an amazing burden, you would think. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting. I saw somewhere um, somebody said all the journalists at, or all the Japanese media at a lot of the majors over the last few years had been asking other players if they thought Hideki could win a major. And that's just like, you can't, I can't comprehend that to have that level of, you know, of, of expectation that they, they want other players to acknowledge that he's good that he's capable of it. Yeah. What's going on with your golf, Meg? What are you doing? Where are you? When are you going to win um, again? When are you going to win a major? <laughs> I'm in. I'm in a good place. I'm happy. I'm, um, I didn't. I've played two tournaments so far and haven't done great in them. But I. D- I don't want to be that cliche that that says you know things are moving in the right direction. But, but. I feel like they are. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> things are moving in the right direction. I think. Um, I obviously I worked hard over the winter and and made a few changes in terms of length and um, and a few other bits and pieces. So it's just it's taken me a little bit of adjusting to kind of to get my balance um get my balance right in in a tournament but i've had two weeks off um and and feel like i've i've kind of done the things that i needed to do so i'm i'm excited to keep playing again um i got a couple of got a monday qualifier for an lpj event next week as well and then the us open qualifier so i've got plenty of plenty of motivation um that's never Never something to worry about. And what's the pathway, Meg? Lots of golfers and golf fans don't even understand this part of professional golf. For a lot of people, golf is the PGA Tour and the LPGA. That's the end destination for most of those players, isn't it? What's the pathway for Meg McLaren? That, I assume, is the goal of the LPGA. Yeah, I think, you know, I'll, I'll see how things pan out the next few months, but my plan right now is to to play as much of the Symmetra Tour as I can this year and, and give myself as as good a chance as I can as actually getting my LPGA card because that's, I wouldn't say it's the easiest route by any means because the depth of talent out here is, is astonishing. But in terms of the most straightforward path to get status on the LPGA, you, the top 10 finishers on the money list get their cards um, for the following year. And to be honest, I, I feel like I'm at a point where I know I've got the ability and I know I've got the game to compete at the highest level and I'm tired of not being there. So I'm, I'm doing everything I can to, to not make any excuses for that anymore and, and just get myself there. I love to hear that. I'm tired of it. That reminds me of the, the McElroy exchange with his caddy a couple of years ago and the caddy just looked and said, fuck's sake, you're Rory McElroy. Mm-hmm. Get on with it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, that's true. So I'm glad to hear that in that sense. What's the Symmetra Tour like, Meg? I remember speaking to Sue o a few years ago. She played a year on the Symmetra, maybe two years on the Symmetra Tour, and it sounded not like the LPGA Tour, if I could put it that way. I heard one of, the, one of my fellow European players described it as a war. Um, a couple of weeks ago, which I thought was the best summation of the Symmetra Tour I've ever heard. Um, I, I I played for a few months out here a couple of years ago, so I kind of know what to expect a bit more now. Um, it is, it's just a grind, I think. It's, you know, you're traveling a lot. You, you're a long way from home for me. Um, and all that stuff is, you know, it's fine, but it's a lot less enjoyable than than playing in Europe or playing on a primary tour um and it's there's just there's so many players all trying to achieve the same thing you know you play on if you played on the lpj or if you play on the let you have quite a mixture of players you know everybody's obviously got ability but you have some players who are there because they enjoy the lifestyle and they've kind of found something that they're good at but they can enjoy as well whereas out here it's like a single-minded, I'm here to get my LPGA card. And it's, you know, 140 players every single week. 
and you see it on the range, you see it on the putting green, you see it in practice rounds, you know, you see it in where the cut mark falls every week. So it's, I think it's very easy to lose your confidence and to lose your enjoyment of the game. But I'm, I'm a bit more aware of that this time around. So I kind of, I trust myself and how I do things a lot more than I ever have done before. Brings the intangibles into play, those circumstances, doesn't it, Meg? You've got to have some mongrel in you. You know, you've got to want to win more than the next person. You've all of those. It, it, it becomes not as much about the ability as as the the mental capacity to put up with that and still be able to to perform. Yeah, Paddy Tavatanaka winning three times in Symmetra Tour, and then you know now a major winner. Hannah Green did the same thing within two years, I think, of graduating. One year, one year the, on the Symmetra Tour, yeah, mentioned. three times, one three times yeah. on the Symmetra Tour, then major winner like eighteen months later. Um, it is a real interesting proving ground. I'm, I'm interested, Meg. There's a little bit of a like because the the uh, the prize money is you know, there's so little prize money there. I think a lot of players you hear the PGA Tour players. I don't know that a lot of LPGA players have the luxury of doing this, but they just PGA Tour players play for one or two big performances a year, and they don't mind missing the cut. Ninety percent of your money in three three percent of your tournament, sort of thing. Exactly, and. I can imagine with the Symmetra Tour, like there is just this massive pressure to at least, you know, top 10, top 20 every single week. Um, uh, and you, you don't have the luxury of that mindset of like, well, one or two good weeks is going to make me. Yeah. It's funny because I'd never, you know, I was obviously very lucky whenever I first turned pro, like I had I had some backing and I had some money kind of set aside to, to start on tour. And I had success quite early. Like I was playing the access tour in Europe, which when you talk about prize money is, you know, is very, very small, but I never really had to worry because I was doing well, you know, and, and I started in a good place. It was just kind of one foot in front of the other. And it was only really whenever I came out to play Symmetra in 2018 and I got on a bad run started missing some cuts. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, shit, I don't know if I have the money to keep doing this. This is actually like, a job I'd forgotten about that. It needs to yeah, pay. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I guess every every player has that at some point in their career. And you. I guess it's just one of those things you have to learn to deal with. But it's not a nice feeling to to have to add that to the weight of, you know, of what you're already trying to do to suddenly think, well, I kind of need a good few weeks. Otherwise, can I come, you know, will I have to go home in June? kind of thing um yeah I'm, I'm very lucky this year that that I've got a few sponsors on board and and I can kind of commit to doing this this year without having to to wonder if I start playing badly will I be able to afford to do it so who are they and how did that come about I've always been interested in this and I know that you after our last discussion you took my advice and started asking for contributions <laughs> on your blog so I hope that hasn't backfired spectacularly but how's that all sort of gone how did, and how did how did you come by sort of sponsors because that's difficult that's hard enough anyway but on a secondary tour there are girls playing the LPGA who have no sponsors yeah um and I've you know I haven't had anything for the last couple of years and obviously I've been been doing reasonably well in Europe um and my profile's been been decent in Europe so you kind of think well if I can't get sponsors there then what chance do I have in America um but I kind of I had a chat with my management company at the end of end of last year and kind of said look I I want to commit to the Symmetra tour and I want to commit to getting my LPGA card but I don't know if I can do it if if I don't get some back in so they you know they worked ridiculously hard to to try and find me some deals um you know, they'd obviously been been talking to people for a while beforehand anyway, but um, there's a company called Ambera, um, who are a real estate kind of development company who who got on board, which is which is brilliant. And then Computer Center as well, who you might know through the Rose series last year. They were kind of one of the companies who really backed it and got behind it. And Kevin Stavers is um is the guy who was really instrumental in in bringing that whole platform together last summer for for women's golf. Um, so I've been been very very lucky and grateful to to have them on board going forward this year too. Yeah, absolutely critical. 
good on them. Good on you, Meg, too. Um, You've got to do whatever you can do. And I'm sure that the blog and your profile, as you're saying, you appear on this podcast and some others around the place. People want to talk to you because you're interesting and intelligent and articulate, and all of that's good. So you, you deserve all of that. And if it makes your path through golf better and uh, gives you a better chance of success, then fantastic and good luck to you. So I hope that that uh, keeps being the case. Uh, best of luck this week. What's the event this week in Arizona, I think you are? Yeah, I'm in Tucson. So it's the Casino del Sol um, something championship open. I'm not quite sure, but it's at, um, it's at literally the biggest casino I've ever seen. Um, so it's, it's one of those intriguing places in America where there's not much going on. And then all of a sudden there's a massive casino <laughs> in the middle of the golf course so, right. in the middle of the desert. Yeah. So it's no, it should be, it should be a good week. I always enjoy competing and, and putting all the things into action. So we'll, we'll see what the next, next few weeks I'm in store really right, well, we'll keep an eye on your results you stay out of those casinos with that sponsor's money that's not what it's for <laughs> it's for accommodation and other expenses not for uh, blackjack and roulette I'm, so I'm not that far ahead of the game yet <laughs> <laughs> great to chat to you Meg always great to chat to you best of luck this weekend for the rest of the year I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon enough but uh, really appreciate you taking the time it's been beautiful thank you guys always enjoy being on um, and hopefully I'll speak to you again soon I'm sure you will. When you win your first Symmetra Tour event, we'll have you on. When we when you win your first major, don't you diss us? That's the deal that we make here. We'll we'll talk You'll about it. You'll be my first podcast. Don't, <laughs> don't don't make don't write checks. You're not going to be able to cash just yet, Meg. Logue? I will hold that promise if you set it up. <laughs> Logue? Uh thanks very much, Rod and Meg. We'll talk about fist pump technique so that you can <laughs> Logue will send you that, a video. That'll be a signal that you can give us when you win your next event that we'll know that was, well, that was you know, uh, communicating that was with us. us. Yeah. Well if you're still sounds with us great. Yeah, it sounds great. Thanks for doing uh, thanks for doing this. And that's episode seventy two, I think I said, in the books. Good good golf podcast. And next week, funnily enough, will be episode seventy three. We'll see you then. Good good. extra holes. Oh, next week. What are you extra holes? Get out of here. Next week, good good golf podcast.